All right, you guys ready? Yep. All right. You're listening to the Tomorrow Today podcast with Kyle Kaplanis. Don't FOMO right, out. That's right. the biggest mistake in this space right now with FOMO. And Duke McKenzie. That's just crazy, right? It's like it's insane. like conversations with thought leaders, experts, influencers, culture shapers, discussing all things innovative, groundbreaking creative developments evolving digital markets. The podcast for those who are curious about what is next. Social media, Web3, NFTs, the metaverse, all the things you need to know about to start planning tomorrow's success today. Welcome to another episode of Tomorrow Today. We have myself, Duke McKenzie. We have your other co-host, Kyle Kaplanis. Kyle, how are you doing today? Yo, I'm doing great, Duke. Excited for this episode. We got a good episode. We got a really good episode. You know why we got a good episode? Because we have my good friend, my main man, Evan Wayne in the house. Evan is the CEO and founder of Key, and he's the foremost expert in relationship revenue building. Evan Wayne has cataloged a successful career in driving sales as well as high growth teams accordingly. And as the founder and CEO of Key, Evan oversees connecting creators with their data so that they're able to sell interesting and unique brand campaigns, which he'll get into. So ladies and gentlemen, let's give Evan a big round of applause. There we go. Evan, Evan, Evan. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So Evan, (laughs) how are you doing, bro? I'm great. Anytime I get to see you guys, it's a good day. So we're here. There we go. It's funny because the whole ad tech world and everything came up in another podcast. And I said, you know, what would be a great guest for this would be Evan Wayne because of all the stuff that you're up to. I would love for you to first start off with your origin story. And then let's talk about key because I think it's very relevant to a lot of things that we'd like to talk about today. My background has been in traditionally advertising technology for the last 15 plus years. And all that means is hopefully when you see an ad for a beautiful piece of content, it's relevant to you is the dream that hopefully we supply. Previous to this world of key, I had started a company called Clearstream. And the notion behind there was there was not relevancy between ads being placed in front of right content. Speaking from a funny example, I was watching a piece of content for LeBron James and I was served a Depends ad before. Did he diapers then? <laughs> now? So the relevancy was off. And in that ecosystem, we ended up exiting the business to engine media group, started seeing the landscape of all these big budgets that were thrown into one of our sister companies, Trailer Park, which is putting out these movie trailers. And all these actors and actresses were in the movie trailers and in the commercials and in everything else. And then you look at what was happening from a media buying standpoint to promote that. And there was a big disconnect. They were hoping to reach the audience of their actors and actresses or those that they paid for the name and likeness by running media in environments where they thought they would be. And I realized at that moment, wow, if talent is considered the new brand or enterprise, shouldn't they have control over their own data and make it accessible so that when they do have their name and likeness used by brands, they could be strong targeting data layers And most importantly, in this world that we're heading to, we'll talk about first party declared data is everything. Mm -hmm. Dig into that a little bit, because it's interesting when you talk to most people, right? When they hear about data or the media that they see, they know intuitively, okay, when I go look at a Nike shoe, I see that shoe following me around everywhere. So I know something's going on. Talk to me a little bit of what you mean, like how creators could participate in that and what's happening today, how most people are seeing these types of ads when they're following them around the net and stuff. It's funny. If you're sitting around with your family and your friends, you always make that comment. It's so creepy. 
They must be listening to me. <laughs> all yeah. those fun things that happen. In all reality, personally speaking, not just because the industry I'm in, I rather there be ads that are at least relevant to me mm-hmm. so that right. I understand what's going on. The way that we've looked at everything in, in the, the landscape is there's a layer of data applied to every ad that should be running. And that data can be as light as, to your point, I visited a website and now I'm being retargeted, or it could be as deep as I engage with somebody in a social platform. I've purchased something previously. My behavioral patterns lead to this thought process that this ad is relevant. The second challenge is making sure that that relevancy is placed at the right time in front of the right individual once you have the data. What we started seeing is, and it become a little bit more pop culture, anyone that had Facebook in their portfolio took a quite a beating recently, mm-hmm. just like when the market bottoming out. And yeah. <laughs> iOS is having a field day with them. We're going to update all tracking and data privacy. Same exact time that Google pump faked us last year, they're actually going to follow through with it. They're going to delete cookies. So mm-hmm. what becomes the holy grail to be, be able to layer in that data target and make relevancy happen? First party data. Who has access to all of that right now? The walled gardens. Right. Yeah. doesn't have access to it. And, and when you say the walled gardens, who are you saying are the walled yeah. gardens? Who are they? Now, my favorite question, and I challenge a lot of talent that we speak to about this. And I said, you have 50 million followers. You built up an unbelievable base of talent. But how many of those emails of your fans do you own to model off of? The answer is typically none. And right. I challenge, how many does Facebook own? And Instagram and Twitter and Twitch and all of the walled gardens of all of it. Ultimately, in the end, they're just selling talent's data to brands mm-hmm. to be able to play within their own ecosystem, the game of relevancy. And our whole thought behind key was, great, let this still happen. Make your AdSense dollars and those getting thinner and thinner. But why don't bring it off of the wall gardens and target that individual's audience wherever they go on the no, exactly. We're seeing that with the way internet is going with decentralization. Same thing with creators. They're the ones that built that audience, maintain that audience. Why shouldn't they be able to own the rights to that data of what their audience is doing? Yep. One of the lens we take is, I've played around with some funny words, but two things we've kind of come down to is also, it levels the playing field on some things too. So look, if one creator from your agency has a million followers, okay? But they also own a lot of their first party declared fan data. Mm -hmm. And another creator has 2 million followers and zero data. Right. Right now, brands are starting to realize this is more valuable. I can amplify the campaign that I'm already doing programmatically. And so we're giving that opportunity not to belittle glorified plumbing in the market. (laughs) You know, that they're in a... Facilitate it, right? So there's so many clicks right now that people have to make from a brand to get to a talent. Right. We're trying to remove it so it's a one-click wonder to come right to you guys. And then when you have the ability to actually upsell your audience, it helps everybody. The creators rewarded by lending out their audience, uh, hopefully financially, but the campaign performs better, which Mm -hmm. they just partnered on. Exactly. You know what I'd love your thoughts on, especially for the audience here, because what happens is that we get all types of people, right? Because we're always trying to talk about what's happening tomorrow, today, what's going on, talking about the future. That change that happened, because if you've gotten an iPhone recently or you updated your software, you realize that you're being asked like 
do you want so-and-so to follow you all the time or whatever? And most mm-hmm. of the time, I'm like, no, I don't need so-and-so. I'm like, no. And every single one, like, it's asking all the time. I know some people know, but how big of a deal was that when Apple changed? How big of a deal was that to Facebook's business? And then how do you think when Google finally cancels cookies, how big of a deal do you think that is? Put that in perspective for everyone, how mm-hmm. big of a deal this is. I'm going to date myself by <laughs> saying I love Groundhog's Day. <laughs> Hopefully we won't see it. Bill Murray, the concept quickly is that every day is Groundhog's Day. He's stuck in perpetuity on repeat, waking up mm-hmm. on the same day. I think that when this happens, officially, we all go into Groundhog's Day for those that don't have first-party data with a lot, which we'll get into. Mm-hmm. So in other words, the days of being able to visit Best Buys or a Nike site and then being retargeted something goes away. So when you go and visit a site again, and you go to visit all of these brands, it's Groundhog's Day where it says, hi, Duke, nice to meet you for the first time. And then where you used to be able to leave, and I still knew Duke, now I don't know you anymore. And so you come back and I go, hi, Duke, nice to meet you again. <laughs> right, right. Because they used to give me a cookie. So that's how they knew every time I came back, right? They knew you. And one of the things, and I'll put you on the spot, how long have you had your personal email for you? <laughs> okay. It's okay. It's, I'm going to date you. Yeah. It's a lot, man. It's, 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 it's funny. I'm going to date myself now. I got two. I have two personal emails. I have one Hotmail address that I opened in 1990, my second year college. So 1996. Spot. All you did say was in 19. That was it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The year 19. But it was in 1996 is when I have my Hotmail. And then even my Gmail, though, like my Gmail address that I use for everything, I think is like 10 years old and I'll probably never change. Like I have professional emails, yeah. but I will probably keep yep. those too. I don't use the Hotmail as much, but I still have it because certain things yep. are in there or whatever, but I will probably never change my Gmail unless God knows. So thank you for answering my loaded question. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm glad in 96 when there was a lot of screeching and crackling from AOL dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the reason why I asked. You've had an email alias with 96. You might've had another one for 10 plus years. Your email is attached to everything mm. that you do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everything from your social media logins to your credit card, to your bank statements, to your walk along the internet. And so the value of an email supersedes anything else in terms of a digital footprint. Mm-hmm. So cookies, we've all lived and played in and they decay after, let's call it 30 days. Some people say 60. But at the end of the day, they decay and they go away. An email record, like you just said, you might never get rid of it. Never goes away. Yeah. And right. so all of that information, when taken and ingested appropriately, which is what we built the plumbing for, and when you strip away that personal identifying information, so it's not Duke and it's not Kyle anymore, it's an ID, mm-hmm. 999. And then I bump that ID that's enriched with all of this data, purchase base, against data sets like from MasterCard and NewStar experience. And we do this nice little translation that says, this idea is this idea, and we bring them together. I now know a lot of information based off of what car you drive, what your behavioral patterns are, when you go to Starbucks, all that information that hopefully makes ads become more relevant when they're served, but most importantly, gives a data set back to the hotel world to say, when I'm out wanting to be proactive and I'm not waiting for that phone to ring from Nike to say, oh, we want to work with you. We're giving the opportunity for talent agencies to be proactive and go and call a brand and say, I speak the same language as you. 
Mm-hmm. This is data that I use to say that my audiences are actually purchasing your product in the same way that they would have looked, turned around the other way and said, I'm trying to figure out which talent audience buys my product. Mm-hmm. We're allowing the conversation to be fluid now. That's really cool. Hey, I, I just want to make another note too. On the flip side, I think it's in the best interest of the talent as well because of the fact that most talents, sometimes they don't take brand deals because they don't want to look like as a sellout, let's say, right? But let's say it's matched up appropriately and your ad is out there to the right people. You don't look like a sellout because it's the people that want to see that. It's so true. It's either the brand for a sellout or even if the brand's so great, you can't dilute. There's a certain right. elasticity, right? If, mm-hmm. How much is too much hashtag ad? Right. So there's two sides to it. Yeah. The other side is great. This data is going to help you solidify more bread, more hashtag at. Mm-hmm. Well, what about the opportunity to say, talent's media. Talent should be their own publisher. 100%. If Hulu reaches 40 million uniques a month, and Wiz Khalifa reaches 40 million uniques every 60 days, we have that. But no one's buying media against Wiz Khalifa. That doesn't make any sense. I exactly. the dollars on Hulu. Right. Yes, there's a problem. So I look at it and said, well, if I can turn through talent, one of the biggest out there, Michael Lee, mm-hmm. why shouldn't he be a publishing network? People want to hate gamers, run against his audience. What does that mean? He doesn't have to write hashtag ad. He doesn't have to do that. They are right. borrowing audience from him. He makes revenue without having to do anything against it. That's the holy grail. That's what we're trying to go towards. Right. Boom. And it's a big business because like I just did while I was telling you, if you guys heard me clicking with like I, i'm like trying to remember i'm like what is the size of the u.s just in the u.s and i'm sure that it's global the u.s digital ad industry right so the u.s digital as estimated u.s dollars were projected it looks like it is advertising souls 566 billion and digital looks like it's at 78.5 billion dollars right and most of that spend is mixed between search and programmatic ads so basically why we got excited. Most of the audience knows that we represent talent and that's my day job and stuff like that. But how we got connected and why we got excited was, I agree with you that creators are actually, people think, oh, creators are just taking selfies and doing all this stuff. But really what they are, the smart ones particularly look at themselves as a media property. Yeah. And by using different technology and whatever, why should they not be treated like Rolling Stone or like MTV or something like that and getting a bit of control on that front. Mm-hmm. If I'm a brand and I'm running programmatic, I'm pulling levers and those levers programmatically say, turn on Colin Axe, turn on Hertz, turn on Hulu. Why should it say, turn on Michael Lee? Right. Programmatic, what does that mean? Like just in case they're out of here. What we're saying is, and again, I love doing pop culture references. We don't name them. Mad Men, if we've all seen it, maybe, which a lot of people have, was Lucky Strike being the brand and Don Draper saying, great, I'm going to make 15% of everything that I put out there. That's my fee. That's what I take. Mm-hmm. And that 15% was only tolerated for so long. And then all of a sudden it became, I'll do it for 14. I'll take your business for 13. I'll take your percent. Well, the agency said, there's margin in this media. Why wouldn't I just build my own way of running media internally? And so programmatic ultimately is a way that agencies, but also the industry say, I can buy and sell media in real time. Right. It's your button. And everyone doesn't realize that all of us today on this call, what's ESPN, we should see a different ad. 
Yeah, all of us should see something different. Yeah. Small little milliseconds of it right. loading onto a page. There's a ton of decisioning programmatically that's going on in real time so that we all should see at the different app. Mm-hmm. Right. The funny thing is, so back in my former life, I used to be part of an old school ad network and tasted this business here. But what's interesting, the things that you are saying, I used to have this phrase when I was talking to my team. I'm like, okay, the things that we are doing right now is not just affecting digital. This is how everything is going to be served. So what's funny, what you're talking about right now, like the combination of merging creators and using the tools of programmatic advertising and using zero party and first party data, all of this stuff that's happening on digital, if everybody watches what's going on, it's going to be taking over everything because the big kahuna, the sexiest media right now is still television, right? Yep. And that's just legacy. That, that, you know, everyone can like, I'm like, this doesn't make sense. I could go on and on for on, on about that. But if you look at where TV is going, so I just bought a TV, we got a new condo. And I just bought a TV for the bedroom and the TV hooks into my AT&T cable yep. over the web. So everything's OTC. And on there, we subscribe. We just got Hulu or whatever. I'm still seeing ads, but the ads are being served now like what how you are talking about versus yep. how TV was traditionally served. But the way I'm watching TV on my big TV is the way that everybody's going to watch TV R- real quick. When my son was f- about four or five years old, he went to my parents' place. My parents, before I got them in DT, didn't have a PVR box and whatever it is, right? He was watching whatever he was watching his show. And then an ad came on of some sort. And then he walked over to the TV and he was like, you know, trying to, trying to fast forward. He was pushing the button. And then he's <laughs> looking at me like, what the F? This is not going on. And, and it's funny because in the world to... My son, who is now 14, they will not accept any types of ads or anything like they did in the past, the way TV serves. It's more like what you're saying. So the best case is using targeted data, trying to get something relevant, being served over the web. It's fascinating. It's so funny. I'm now at that same stage with a four and a half year old mm-hmm. boy. Ads to them on whether it's YouTube, kids or whatever it is, it's skippable. It's moving. Right. But it is funny when an ad pops up that might have a dinosaur. It mm-hmm. really seems to continue watching. Mm. Yeah. All it was was relevancy. Yeah. It's right. so true. My kids do the exact same thing. Like my eight and 10 year old, I'll watch their behavior as well. If it's an ad, they don't like, they know that skip button faster than anybody. This yeah. specifically the Gen Z generation there, they were born with knowing where that skip button was in the womb. <laughs> but yeah. it is funny to watch their behavior because I've seen them watch an entire ad and because I'm in this business, I paid a lot more attention to it. And they'll say, Hey, can I get this? And I'm like, that was interesting because that ad was very geared to them. I've been noticing it more, which sucks for me as a parent, because now my kids want more and more things because the ads are so targeted (laughs) to them. They're like, I want this. I want to buy this. And I'm like, great. This isn't fun for my wallet, but yeah, it is working. Yep. Right. So in the walled garden, so the big three that gets most of the media money and that controls, like what, what people don't realize is that if they're controlling most of the media money and they control most of online, they control most of media in like all of media, right? So you got the Facebooks, you got the Google and who, who else is part of the, 
the big three. Facebook. Got- but now we're putting TikTok into the mix from a social platform. Right. You put in TikTok and all those things. Do you think particularly Google and Facebook or whatever, do you think that the push to get off the walled garden, like to wrestle control of them? Because the reason why they have their power is because people are choosing to go there. How long do you think, in your bet, how long do you think it's going to take to create either other alternatives or to group everything else so that it is an alternative, so that they're not getting 90% of the budgets and the voice and all, all those things? So funny. Let's think through the process. F- Facebook walked in to talent agencies a long wow. time ago and said, we've built a platform for you to create massive scale of reach where we're going to be about all these eyeballs that, you know, we have a discovery platform and all this stuff. And you're going to get this huge amount of viewership overnight. Right. And then after everybody built these audiences in their playgrounds, they came back to the same folks that they had pitched that to and said, it's just really busy on these highways of social. So the algorithm suppressing a lot of this content. Why don't you pay us? And we'll make sure those ads, meaning your content is seen, dark posting, whitelisting, et cetera. Right. Feed the beast. And so we also forget that when we say social reach and everything else, each platform is created differently. If you look at how someone that's really good in this space, what they do on TikTok is different than Snapchat, is different than Twitter, is different than Instagram, whatever it may be. So understanding the audiences of your fans from each of those data silos is also important. To answer your question, I think that, that this goes on in perpetuity. They're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. They've done an unbelievable job. And that's what I've always said is that anybody that comes out and says, I'm going to build something competitive to insert social platform is crazy. Right, right. Okay. But if you can find a way to amplify what's happening from a baseline foundationally, and that's what we're trying to do, then I think there's a lot of upside to the numbers you threw around before and everything else, because it's not hard to take a small bite of a budget mm. that is going to be running. And the stat that is stuck with me since last year, which I read somewhere, was... One third of the internet is on some social media platform. Okay. Mm-hmm. But two thirds of the brand budgets are on that one third. That's right. 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 That's, right. 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 That is, right, that's, right. That's off. Right. So, Hang on. So one third of the internet is on social media, right? It's about a third. Yep. But yet that one third takes two thirds of the budgets. Got so it. The, the math it doesn't work. They, they're like, no, uh, right. They're all following the audience. Right, right, yeah. right. So that's where I think there is a great opportunity to say, look, we understand there's people that run specifically on social. The way that we look at it, especially once you control some of your ownership of your data is now the playground's the internet. Mm-hmm. I could optimize in Facebook. And if it, Instagram costs me $15 to find you Duke, and it's three bucks over on Conde or ESPN, you're still Duke. Right, so, right. I can, but right now it's fragmented. People buy social, then they go over here, they do programmatic. We're looking at it saying, let's take this ID that we formed. Mm-hmm. And now let's look at the whole internet and say, great, I don't care where you go. If it's the right fit at the right time, serve something that's relevant. Yep. Yep. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. Let's close off with thoughts on the ad industry where you like, how do you think this year is going to end up? Any other thoughts you'd like to close off on? I think that the folks that, this is a big tipping point, 
uh, at your point in the market. I think the people that understand enough to be dangerous, what a cookie is, what the meaning of it, loss of it is, what first party data means versus not having it. I think those that understand this is finally the year where brands and other folks have fully awoken to the fact that those are the ones that are going to be above the grade. Those are the ones that are going to be able to go and run an evergreen campaign in perpetuity. They're going to be able to ask for budgets that they haven't seen before. I think that we've all been running with a blind eye to what's coming. Right. And, out here. and so I think this is the year where those that establish a footprint for themselves foundationally of data and understanding it are going to be in a really good place. And those that don't are going to have a hard time catching up. No, that's a great take. That is a great take. Evan Wayne, Mr. Evan Wayne. Thanks a lot for coming on today. We really appreciate it. Very thoughtful conversation and good luck with Key and we will talk to you soon. Thanks, Evan. so much. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Tomorrow Today podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to follow us on social media at Project Z Talent. That's P-R-J-T-Z Talent. And stay tuned next week for more of the Tomorrow Today podcast because shaping your tomorrow starts today.